Reading this evening is from Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, you'll find that on page 1047. Luke 14, page 1047. We'll be reading from verses 1 through to 24. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? They had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, everyone. Are you sitting comfortably? after the barbecue, or have you got a bit of a, a sore back, maybe? But if you're sitting comfortably, then I'll begin. You see, over the summer, we're looking at the stories that Jesus told. 
But the trouble is, some of these stories are not comfortable stories at all, are they? It's not bedtime reading. These sort of stories don't lull us to sleep. You're supposed to be woken up and take notice of what he says. His stories have a sting. Our series is called Stories with a Sting. They make you sore. They get under the skin. They irritate people. And tonight we're looking at four lessons that Jesus taught the Pharisees and which irritated the Pharisees. More than irritated, it left them speechless. They must have been furious at what he said. But that was only because they refused to listen. And a stubborn refusal to hear God's word brings a curse. Jesus pronounced a curse on the Pharisees. Well, there's a blessing and there's a curse for us this evening. I would urge you to opt for the blessing and learn from the Pharisees' mistake rather than copying it. Now, we're looking at a banquet, so uh, uh, we need to get into a bit of a banquet mood. So I need you to use your imagination. Hope you enjoyed the church picnic, but this isn't a picnic we're looking at. And maybe you're going to a barbecue tonight, but this isn't a barbecue. Imagine you're not in this church service tonight, but you're seated at a large, formal gathering. You know, the kind of thing, when we have our church annual meeting here, there's tables are laid out, it's all very nice. We're expecting a nice big meal, maybe something like a wedding breakfast, when you spend a lot of time organising it. Have you been to something like that? You've probably dressed up, haven't you? You've certainly showered, you've done your hair and makeup, and you'd certainly be annoyed if you'd scratched your nose during the gardening this week. It's a social event. You want to look your best. And you're looking great. You're sitting at the table with your friends, and you're looking forward to a delicious meal. Followed by some entertaining speeches. You're very relaxed, and you're just starting to enjoy yourself. The band is playing some nice music in the background and you're chatting with your friends. Are you there? Can you picture it? You've got that warm glow that this is gonna be a nice evening. And then out the corner of your eye, you see a man. He's been sleeping rough and he's making his way to your table. He looks dreadful. Will you recognize him because you, you met him at the homeless shelter that you worked at in the morning? As he comes to you, he breathes his alcoholic breath all over you, offers to shake your hand, and says, I'm not feeling great. Would it be too much trouble if you could take me to the hospital? Well, how are you feeling now? This isn't what you had in mind for your nice meal. If you take him to the hospital, maybe with a friend of yours, then the two of you will miss the meal and all the speeches. It's a nuisance, isn't it? Is there a doctor in the house? Can you pass the problem to an expert? Or, or maybe call an ambulance and hope the problem's taken away from you. Well, I don't know, has that kind of thing ever happened to you? We've got 
three nice lunches coming up this week, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, here at this church, and we're not expecting that kind of interruption. But if it did happen, would we demonstrate the love of Jesus and calmly tend to this person's needs? Well, I hope so. Otherwise, we'd be no better than the Pharisees. So let's turn to our passage, Luke 14, page 1048, I think it is. Let me read the first six verses again. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Now that's a a swelling of the body which indicates some underlying condition, something that needed treatment. He was probably quite ill. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. And then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. It's all a bit one-sided, this conversation, is it strange? Jesus asks a question, silence. Jesus heals the man and asks them if they would do the same. More silence. Why is that? Well, you see, the invitation to the meal after their Sabbath day service is not quite the nice gesture that Jesus might have hoped it was. The Pharisees have other motives. It says Jesus is being carefully watched. Why is that? Well, if you turn back a couple of pages, we'll see what the Pharisees were after. Luke eleven We'll have a quick look at another meal that Jesus had at a Pharisee's house. And I think we'll see clearly what's going on. We're coming, to, this is at the end of the meal. Tell me how successful you think this dinner party has been. How is the ambiance at the end of the meal. Luke eleven fifty two, Jesus is just finishing a speech and this is how he ends it. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. What's the atmosphere like at this dinner? Jesus rebukes his hosts sharply. He doesn't hold back, does he? He's angry with them. The Pharisees were meant to be teaching people about God, how you can come to know him, how you can enter into his holy presence, how you can receive his mercy and forgiveness. But instead, the Pharisees had invented a set of additional rules that were useless, that got in the way, that obscured people from finding the truth about God. 
and his mercy. They were supposed to be talking about the the law of forgiveness by the shedding of blood. The way that God would take away sin. But they'd obscured it. They'd obscured people from finding the truth about God's mercy. And Jesus sums this up in his last rebuke. He says, you've taken away the key. You're supposed to be telling people the way, how to find peace with God, how to enter into his presence. But you don't even use that key yourself. You've hidden it behind a load of religious rules and regulations. Shame on you. Woe to you, he says. And verse 53, Luke tells us that when Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. So that's the background. The Pharisees are trying to catch him out. And surprise, surprise, on his way in front of him is a sick man. Now we don't know if Jesus had arranged for the man to be there to make another point to the Pharisees, or whether it's the Pharisees who are trying to trip him up, or whether it's just a coincidence. But the Pharisees think that Jesus is now faced with a tricky problem. The Ten Commandments say, no work on the Sabbath day. And here in front of Jesus is someone needing to be healed, which is clearly work. But this is no problem for Jesus. He takes it in his stride, doesn't he? He knows the law and he loves the sick man. So he asks the Pharisees what they would do. And they don't know what to say. You see, their take on the Sabbath day law was very strict. This was one of their Sabbath day rules. It says, let no beast be helped to give birth on the Sabbath day. So if they had a cow that was trying to give birth and it got into difficulty, they would be leaving it to die. The calf and the cow would probably die. And their rule goes on, and if it falls into a cistern or a pit, let it not be lifted out on the Sabbath. Maybe they knew it didn't make sense. Maybe they knew their rules were were wrong. Anyway, they kept quiet. So Jesus goes ahead and heals the man and explains why it was right for him to do so on the Sabbath. If a person or an animal is in trouble, just because it's the Sabbath day, you don't leave them to die, do you? End of problem. Jesus carries on to the meal, leaving them lost for words. It's a bit difficult to sympathise with the Pharisees over this. Their religion was supposed to be bringing people close to God. But it wasn't working. And when Jesus points this out to them, they simply refused to listen. Jesus healed a man who was helpless to heal himself. Of course he did. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. 
But the Pharisees' rules prevented them from getting involved, from reaching out to those in need. They just didn't see it. They were good religious folk who took so much care following the rules that they completely missed the point. And again, Jesus rebukes them openly. This kind of religion gets you nowhere. It's not the key to knowledge. It obscures the way to God. Well, that's lesson one. And the Pharisees didn't appear to learn anything from it. So let's see how they do on lesson two. Jesus notices that the guests are trying to get themselves the best seats at the table. So he gives them some free advice. Go for the cheap seats. Economy class. You might get upgraded. If you go for a first class seat, you'll probably get chucked out. Your ticket's not valid. Now, that would be humiliating, wouldn't it? But what's his point? Luke tells us this is a parable. So I guess finding the right seat is not really what matters. He's teaching them a heavenly principle. If you approach God with humility, he will give you a place of honour at the banquet feast with Jesus. If you approach God with pride, you'll find that your ticket is not valid. You'll find there's no place for you. You will be reseated in the least important place. Well, I don't know, is that a reference to hell? What do you think? It's certainly not the place that you want to be. So that's lesson two. The way to God is to come humbly. Admit that we need help. And ask him to be merciful upon us. Because we don't deserve a place near him. And God will accept us. And give us a great seat at the banquet. But if we think we're good enough, if we think we've kept the rules well enough to deserve a nice seat in heaven, then we're in for a shock. We'll find that our proud attitude is not welcome at God's feast and we'll be led away to a place of dishonour. So that's two lessons and two to go. It's not exactly a comfortable meal with the sort of conversation that amused the Pharisees. I wonder what the Pharisees would normally be talking about at their meal tables. I expect they'd be debating the rules, would they? Comparing notes about how holy they are and what rule they've just decided they could uh, amend a little bit. I wonder what they're making of this meal. Now, lesson three, which is verses 14 and to 16, seems to be aimed at the dinner host, the Pharisee who'd invited Jesus and his disciples in the first place. I wonder if he was regretting that invitation now. Anyway, it's some advice on who to invite to dinner parties. Perhaps he was hoping that Jesus would say, thank you for inviting me, and he'd get something nice said. I wonder, did Jesus whisper this to him? When you invite people round for a meal, don't just go for your friends and family. Invite the destitute. 
You see, your friends and family can pay you back, but the destitute can't, and you'll get your pay on resurrection day when the righteous are resurrected. Well, if Jesus did whisper it, it wasn't very soft because someone overheard him. Someone who's very excited about Resurrection Day. And that led Jesus on to lesson four. But before we go there, let's see if we can work out what Jesus meant by inviting the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Is he saying that dinner parties are sinful? And instead we should be running soup kitchens for the down and outs. Sorry, Mary Berry. I don't think he is. And let me tell you why. The do not do one thing, but do the other, is a way of speaking which corrected something, rather than saying it was wrong. It wasn't an either-or situation. Like in a game of Monopoly, you know, when you get the card that says, go to jail, do not pass go, do not collect £200. That's an either-or. You either go to jail or you pass go, you can't do them both. But this was a not only but also form of speech. Let me give you an example. You're going to holiday in Cornwall. What do you do in Cornwall? Well, you want to go on the beach, don't you? And someone says to you, when you, when you go to the beach at Newquay, do not go swimming, but go surfing. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that it's wrong to enjoy the sea and swim and jump around in the waves. It's just saying that the best way to enjoy Cornish waves is on a surfboard. Don't merely go swimming, but rather and also go surfing. I don't think Jesus is condemning family dinner parties. He went to several himself. He says, when you give a dinner or a lunch, doesn't say, don't give a dinner or lunch. When you do, don't keep all the good things to yourself and your close friends. Don't merely do that, but rather and also invite the poor, crippled, lame and blind. But what is Jesus really teaching us here? It's deeper than dinner parties, much as lesson two was deeper than seating plans. By all means, share God's blessings with your friends and family but don't merely do that. Rather, and also, reach out to others. Do we keep all the good things that God has given us within a small circle of family and friends? Or are we any good at telling others how to find peace with God through the Lord Jesus? I trust you're looking forward to a reward on Resurrection Day. By all means, still enjoy family meals, but don't merely do that. Rather, and also, look for ways to tell people about Jesus. Well, the dinner host doesn't really have time to mull this over because that guest who overheard Jesus starts talking about Resurrection Day. And so Jesus goes straight into lesson four, the parable of the great 
banquet. Now you could say that lessons one, two, and three have all been about us, how we behave, how we invite others to share in the blessings that we have. Well, lesson four is all about God and how he behaves and how he invites us to share in the blessings he has. And notice Jesus doesn't contradict what the dinner guest says. Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. He's quite right. It is a blessed thing to do. He just explains how you can be that man. How you can be someone who eats at the feast. Well, first the banquet is prepared. And it's going to be great. There's going to be loads of people. They're all expected. They've had their invitations. And when it's ready, the table is set, the ovens are full, the drinks are ready, the waiters and the waitresses are dressed and eager to welcome in all the guests. So out goes the servant to say, dinner's ready, you can come now. It's all prepared for you. He knocks on the first guest's door. Oh, uh, terribly sorry. I'm busy extending my farm and there's work to do on my new field. He knocks on the second door. Oh yes, the banquet. I'll pass on my apologies. You know, I've just bought the latest five ox power plough and I simply have to try it out. Well, there's no answer from house number three. Just a note on the door. Can't make the banquet on honeymoon. The servant reports back. The owner of the house is angry. Of course he's angry. All his friends were invited. They said they'd come, but they now produce lame excuses. They knew the feast was on, but they'd ignored it. They'd snubbed the host and just got on making their own plans doing their own things with their lives, tinkering with their farm, playing with their new farm machinery, and simply enjoying married life. So the owner tells the servant to quickly invite all the poor, crippled, blind, and lame from the town. And it almost seems as though the servant has already done that. He must have known that the owner would want that to happen. And all the poor, crippled, blind and lame that are there still haven't filled up the banquet. So the owner sends the servant further afield into the countryside, telling him to make the people come on. Come until the house is full. He's going to have a great banquet. It'll be full of the people who never expected to enjoy such an honour. But the ones who couldn't be bothered to attend will never even taste a morsel. Lesson four over. I wonder how that went down with the Pharisees. Jesus clearly meant that the ones with an invitation were the Pharisees. It was the Jewish nation. The Pharisees had the key to the door. They knew the way to the banquet but they were too busy with religious stuff to pay any attention. 
Sitting at their table with them was Jesus, the longed-for Messiah, who was explaining the way to enter the kingdom of heaven. He was inviting them to the great banquet feast, but they were too busy to listen to him. Too busy to hear him explain that he was about to die, and by his blood they could be forgiven. He was the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Right in the midst of them was the Messiah. And Jesus told them that if they didn't listen, then he would go elsewhere to others who would receive God's mercy. The poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. Have you noticed what these people have in common? None of them had any means to offer anything to the owner of the house. None of them could pay him back for his generosity. None of them could earn a place at the banquet or even had the means to get there. The poor had no money. The crippled had no means of earning any money. The lame had no way of getting there. And the blind had no means of finding the way. And it's not very hard to see the heavenly meaning from this parable, is it? It's all about your response when the servant says, dinner's ready. Do you have a lame excuse for turning down Jesus? Or are you like the poor, crippled, lame and blind, amazed that the owner has a place for you at the banquet? So what's it going to be for you, a blessing or a curse? Are you enjoying the meal? Are you relaxed and ready to respond to Jesus and do what he says? Or are you like the Pharisees, irritated and sore because you've plans for your life and Jesus doesn't feature in them? Let me close by reminding you the four lessons we've had. Remember the man that Jesus healed. Jesus brings healing. Tell people about Jesus. Not religious activities that don't bring any life. Second lesson, choose economy class. Only the humble will make it into the banquet. Third lesson, invite the poor. Don't just keep God's blessings in the family, but share them with people who need to know the good news of the Lord Jesus. And lesson four, when Jesus calls, dinner's ready, make sure you go before another beggar takes your seat. There is no excuse for failing to turn up. You've heard the good news. Don't snub God because you're too busy. Today is the day of salvation. Well, may the Lord bless us as we seek to respond to his word. Amen.